Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. I'm Chris Moran. Chris Moran is a filmmaker, farmer, and coach based in Princeton, New Jersey. He pursues his love of movement alongside his love of nature at Cherry Valley Cooperative Farm. Chris approaches his practice through the lens of play and exploration in nature to recapture the joy of movement. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. Chris, the first obvious question is, why is Craig interviewing a farmer? And I want to know if you'd first unpack a little bit. Um, I know you're, you're from New Jersey. You're from that general area to begin with. But how did you get from your normal, regular life to actually running a farm? That's, this is not an obvious first choice for people. Yeah. Well, okay. So this is a, a story of serendipity and it, I'll make it as short as I can. But um, when I, I was a personal trainer in New Brunswick, New Jersey, which is where Rutgers University is. Mm -hmm. And I was quite heavily involved in, well, I shouldn't say heavily, but I was involved in the parkour scene there. I started the Rutgers Parkour Club in 2010. And uh, that was where, you know, Gabe, I met him back mm -hmm. then and he kind of then took it off as I left. But I was uh, involved in that. And then I was a personal trainer after I graduated and lived in New Brunswick. So a few years after I graduated and was working as a trainer, um, I was also getting more and more into kind of natural movement stuff and was kind of very interested in just all sorts of like tree climbing and mm -hmm. going out and moving that type things at that time. At least I didn't really know different names to call stuff. So I was just finding these things online and being like, that's awesome. I want to go do that. <laughs> and, uh, so I was posting a lot of photos online at the time of just tree climbing in general. And then this kid that I had gone to high school with, but I had not seen in about eight to nine years at that point, just messaged me because, or was commenting on photos being like, oh, that's awesome. I, I've been doing some bouldering and some other things. And, you know, we should actually meet up sometime to go climbing. Oh, just kindred spirit, right? Just right. a random right. sort of thing. And, and I was like, oh, sure, man, cool. And let's do that. And then he was... He also said, oh, and I, I'm, and I said, where are you living? Cause he went to Rutgers as well, but I never saw him there. Um, and he said he was living on some farm in Princeton. Um, I thought that meant just like a side house on oh. some old people's farm and <laughs> just living on. The I farm. really knew nothing about farming at that point, to be honest, uh, very, very little. So I just thought it was a random old farm of corn and he was just kind of there in some guest house. So I go to pick him up from this farm and I pull into the driveway and there's this girl in the sitting in the grass in front of a farm stand in front of this house. And that's her name is Lauren. Now it's I've li now lived with her for multiple years because she's one of the other farmers. But and she was young, like, you know, my age. And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I was expecting old people. I really right? and I was just enamored by the whole experience, like mm. meeting this. these, And I was like, what you started? Of, how does this even, how did you get money to get these tools? And I don't understand. It made no sense to me. Yeah. Where do you get the seeds? And like, was, how, do you, what do you do? how do you make this stuff grow? I was just mind blown, to be honest, at that moment. And right. I thought it was so, so cool because I desperately was seeking an outdoor life at that point. I lived in a city, but I would constantly go to like these various spots for tree climbing. Right and other things like that, and just always wanted to be outside. So I was already at that point starting to think about like moving to somewhere that was far more rural. Um, but anyway, the story continues on. I, I go to the farm that one day and then we go do some tree climbing in a separate place. But then I, when I was at the farm that day, I met some of their people. And I, at the same time, I just bought a bow to start bow hunting and I was getting interested in that. So I asked them if I could just shoot to practice on the property because I know where to do that. Mm. 
It was very, I was very random. I just got in it and they were like, sure, you can come by anytime and shoot. And I was Pick like, a tree, right? <laughs> okay. So then I started showing up like every week to just practice shooting. Meanwhile, that kind of afforded me some time to get to know some of the other people there. Then I kind of befriended them. Um, meanwhile, I was not even really hanging out with that same person that introduced me at this point much. He was just kind of there and mm -hmm. I would just show up to shoot. Um, so I, then I started coming every Tuesday to help uh, as a volunteer, just to kind of work on stuff. Cause I just found it so much fun. So I helped the one farmer build a greenhouse, um, among some other things, we dug swales, which are basically like long trenches in the field by mm -hmm. hand with shovels. Cause we had no machinery <laughs> at that time. <laughs> and I just thought it was so much fun. So I just kept coming back on Tuesdays mm. to do this. And then eventually about a year later, it just turns out that a room is opening up and it's actually the person that introduced me to the farm is, is leaving the farm. It's leaving, right. Um, and then I just raised my hand and said, I'll take it. And I moved, you know, I, I moved whatever I need to move in my life because I had to immediately like find, it was like two months prior to the moving day and I had to figure out how to get out of my current lease and find someone to replace it. Cause I live with good friends and I had to tell them and be like, I'm moving to a farm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going, I'm turning left. Um, and so the reason it's so serendipitous is it's just kind of funny how the person that introduced me to it, I, not only had I not seen them in eight years since high school, but then I never really saw them hmm. like again after that, it's just so random how it's just this kind of random one tap on the glass one, and it, like that resonated with you. And one and, little thing yeah. led to that. And then here I am multiple years later now, and I, we're now on a hundred acre farm instead of a 10 acre farm, by the way. I'm wondering how your like love of movement. So you, when you pick up parkour, when you're in college, that seems like a pretty um, understandable choice for you to be drawn to. And, and that love of physical movement is the same thing that drew me to parkour and everybody else. And I'm wondering when you go out and become a farmer, there's a ton of movement. In fact, I would say there's more movement that you would do as a farmer than you would do in normal training sessions. Cause you're just up sunrise to sunset. And I'm wondering yeah. how, how that, um, that movement as a farmer, how that like scratches the same itch. Cause it's completely different kind of movement. I mean, yes, you, you may do like, you know, seated squats and moving and things, but you don't, you don't go out and like train movement you go out and just do the farming. And I'm wondering how you see that parallel with the movement that you do in built spaces compared to like the kind of movement. I'm even hesitant to use the word movement, but the yeah, kind of movement yeah. that you do in the farming space. And I'm wondering how those two tie together or if there's, well, this is actually a very interesting topic I like to talk about. So um, one thing that I love about manual labor in general and what I, it actually often makes me feel like confused about training is that when you, in manual labor, the focus is fully external. You're just accomplishing a task and right. by virtue of accomplishing the task, you're using your body, um, so intensely. And then when you do that for long enough, you start to, f then it starts to make training almost feel like arbitrary where you're like, wait. Why am I doing this? Because I'm not actually getting anything done is <laughs> what it feels and like. It in. And, be the parallel, right? <laughs> and, but I, I, I think there's something very rewarding to us intrinsically about manual labor and like actually accomplishing something with your movement. And I, I would love for like more um, parkour practitioners to kind of get a chance to experience that kind of thing. Because I think it, it's a nice kind of side-by-side -side parallel thing at the same time. Um, it doesn't mean I, di I didn't like lose any interest. Per well, I didn't then become like, oh, well, never mind. I'm, I won't train ever. Yeah, you're not like but a purist and like, no, I'm not doing that. Right. I'm not a purist, but it definitely did kind of 
alter how I was thinking about things. And I don't personally like do that much, um, like focused training in my life, at least not at the moment. It really varies over time, but I find that my lifestyle just involves so much regular labor on a regular basis that it it does actually fulfill a lot of that desire mm-hmm. inside me to like move my body kind of in a whole, in like a holistic way where I'm moving every which way to accomplish something. And you're, you're also not focused I would, I'm guessing, I, I mean, I haven't dug a ditch, but I haven't, it's not something I do every day. And you're also focused on the goal. You're focused on the outcome and you're probably less focused. I mean, I can imagine if you were digging a swale by hand, you would also be focused on the literal process. I need to not rip my hands. I need to like not pull my back out to like go all the way across the field. Yeah. But I, I would seem to be like in general, like we were talking about shiitake mushrooms before. So go out and check how many was it? 600? Yeah, about 600 600 logs logs that you have shiitakes growing in in the forest. So now it becomes a a process of, okay, check the mushrooms. And then this is going to involve a ton of movement. This is going to involve picking slugs. This is going to involve walking. This is going to maybe involve moving the logs. Um, But at no time are you thinking about, I'm working on deadlifts today. I'm working on finger strength. I mean, all these things. You just, you're interested in the end result. And each, um, I'm kind of rambling, but each, like each, no, I, I have plenty to say on this. Uh, so like what I'm thinking is like, you get lost in a good way. You get lost in like this log, you know, you, you come up to a log and, and this one's fine. And that one's not fine. Like I, I'm, I'm just wondering if what people uh, find is missing in their training is that there's no objective finish and, and like, I don't know which of those ideas you want to pack, which of those you want to unpack the idea of objective finish or yeah. the process or the end goal. <laughs> well, I could unpack the idea that, and I'm very interested in this too. It, it harkens back to a time in which I had lots of chronic pain and a lot of these things play and mm-hmm. both manual labor really helped me. And part of the reason is when we're doing training and we're well-informed and we kind of know what good form is and like we know how to do something, I think we get very pigeonholed in the the perfection of the movement and what is right or what we think is right. So say you're doing something like a precision jump or let's even say a pull up, like, you know, exactly like what angle your elbows yeah. should be at and where you kind of hold your yeah, body in space. Be healthy and in the you, long run, right? But I, unfortunately I think we, we get a little too specific or at least too honed in on it to where it just becomes this completely rigid, like forever, like the same mm-hmm. sort of motion. Whereas when your focus isn't on the outcome, like in labor, you, you really don't care so much how you do it. There's no right way. You just have to get it done and feel good while you're doing it. So if you're digging with a shovel, like every dig into the ground, you might alter your body positioning slightly just right. to kind of like stay comfortable. You're not like, no, I must have my hip in this position yeah. and my elbow must be here because this is how you do a proper shovel lift or whatever. Shovel lift. <laughs> um, and I do think there's a, a lot to that and how it can. So I, I think people get too pigeonholed in their body and it makes them kind of more rigid. And then I think it also does lead to more issues. And this is a whole other topic to unpack, but with um, kind of running into problems with chronic pain and stuff because they're just moving in too specific of a way and not allowing their body to kind of move in a more free and open yeah, organic, right. kind of organic way. Yeah. Um, there's so many things to unpack there because I think about this a lot. I love the external focus of manual labor and kind of getting out of the thought of what is the right way. Chris, let's turn left for a second. And 
you did a presentation at Art of Retreat uh, two years ago. Yeah, not this past 20, one, but the previous 2017 in New, York. in New York. And I believe I had met you before that, but I remember you talking about that at the time. So we've been talking about movement and you just mentioned pain, chronic pain. Can you just uh, give me a little bit about your I don't want to say your ideas because that makes it sound like it's something that you came up with and it's crazy, but like, can you unpack some of the knowledge that you have about chronic pain and why, you know, like, <laughs> let's yeah, talk about yeah, that yeah. a second. <laughs> so I'll try to keep it as short as I can. Cause it's such a hefty topic, but, um, in general, recent advancements in pain science have kind of opened up this idea of the biopsychosocial model of pain, as opposed to the previous model, which would have been the postural structural biomechanical model, which was that, the previously, like all pain had to be related to some kind of damage in the tissue so that if you felt something wrong, it meant there must be something wrong in the tissue level. Um, so, but then with the biopsychosocial model, we have kind of expanded that to realize that there's so many more things that play into whether or not you feel pain and how okay. much. And it really comes down to more psychological and but not like so very let me just disclaim it real quick that it's, we're not at all saying that pain is therefore in the head. In fact, you could argue that all pain is in the head because it's your brain that produces the yeah. output. So even if, if, if I hit you in the arm right now and it hurt, that's still in your head the same way. So it's not like imagined we're talking about, but so a lot of science has shown how emotions and values and beliefs and fears and anxieties play into how the body assesses threat. I was going to say, and it's so an it, assessment that your brain it is particularly making. comes down to the idea of, so pain is essentially, it's, it happens as a response to perceived threat. So what can happen to people and what often happens in the case of chronic pain, say saying like the knee pain, um, maybe at one point in the past, they hurt their knee a little bit. Let's say maybe they overstressed it. They were doing too much or something. Um, but then what happens is the, the brain, especially if you're really fearful of it, like people have told you over and over, like, oh, it hurts. oh my God, it's oh man, you really better be safe than sorry. You got to stop training right now. Like, and then like, and in the parkour world, it's, it's, I think lots of people are hyper fearful of certain problems because they've heard these horror stories where it's like, oh man, he hasn't trained in three years. He just stopped parkour forever. And they're terrified the moment their knee ever hurts. Right. Um, and then what that does, then the brain is using that information, that fear to kind of play so like into the perception. So it yeah. actually, you become far more sensitized. We call it central sensitization when someone is like so sensitized to pain that very innocuous levels of stress to different tissues are causing an alarm mm -hmm. to go off. So it's basically like the brain thinks, whoa, 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 there's right. a problem here. Let's just give some pain, which, and then the point of pain is to alter your behavior. It's in a sense, a brilliant system because it's what keeps us alive. We all know about right. that disease where people don't have pain and they often die young because their yeah, body is falling apart left and right because they don't have the feedback response to take care of it. Um, but it, we can go so deep, but the general idea for me and what kind of affected me was I felt like I got into these really deep kind of rabbit holes of anxiety and worry about my body where I just felt like I was constantly hurting it and mm -hmm. overuse injuries. But how did you get into, so I'm like, wait, 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 where's yeah. the, where does the pin go on the map here? So, um, in, in your journey from, you know, growing up as a regular kid and then you go to college and then you wound up on the farm, where does the 
um, let's call this. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, where does the pain come in? That's not what I want. But where does the where does the side trail come in where you got interested in on uh, in learning about chronic pain? Like, where did that happen? Yeah, I could tell you that's pretty. So uh, from senior year of college through the first like three years after, which was the period of time in which I was a personal trainer at Rutgers. Mm -hmm. And that was the period of time right before I moved to the farm. So it honestly, like my pain chapter of my life kind of closed at the moving to the farm. farm. Um, did you realize that right away? Or did you only like, you're like, wait, I used to be in pain. Like, how did you, <laughs> I wouldn't say it was because of the farm, but it, that was a big shift lifestyle wise, which helped. But, um, no, is I learned about pain science about a year or so before moving to the farm mm. and that it was actually like pain science, not like some physical therapy modality that really changed my life, which mm -hmm. is why I care a lot about it. And I read a lot about it and it's so broad in general. It's not even, it's not a modality. I don't preach any particular modality. Right. I just preach like a, just kind of the awareness of like what pain means. And if you at least just understand pain a little better, it can often help in better outcomes. It doesn't mean like it's a, it's not necessarily the answer for somebody per se, but it just being informed will help you in your process. So if something's really hurting you, it just gives you more information to consider, mm. which can then help you. So instead of maybe losing your mind in anxiety, you're like, you know what, maybe, maybe my knee is not as bad as I thought it was. Maybe I just Let's need to take it for a walk. Right. And let see. me just like, you know, and then and it, it amazingly like, knowledge and education have now been shown in many a study to like dramatically help people and produce better outcomes, just teaching people about pain. Chris, I know we're jumping around a lot and I just had this, um, question of like, yeah, so it's parkour guy who quit parkour and started a farm. And, and anytime I find myself making an assumption about someone, then I'm always the following question springs to mind. Like, I wonder what they actually think. Like, is there something that you think people would misunderstand about you or something you wish they understood about you. It's that's two sides of the same coin. Um, is there like a part of this whole big story of Chris that you think people would misunderstand or like, did, did you just quit parkour and become a farmer or like, <laughs> how do you think about that? How do you think about that story arc? Hmm. So you want me to interject Levi's story? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, well, you know, I'm not the only, uh, parkour farmer out there. There's also Levi Muhrenberg, one of the mm -hmm. big original names in the parkour scene. He uh, became kind of a farmer and a permaculture farmer, which is actually the kind of practice we practice in my farm. And oddly enough, he has a okay, podcast. What's, what's permaculture? Sorry. <laughs> permaculture is just like a, a holistic kind of design process of designing. You could design a city this way, or you could design a farm this way so that you're having a complete system of no waste and okay. all of your inputs and outputs are in a circle stream. Okay. So it's, it's a permanent agriculture is the kind of root of the word. And so it's practicing fully sustainable and regenerative methods and in, in design of land or so like cities, like little neighborhoods can practice permaculture by like capturing their rainwater mm -hmm. and things like that. Okay. So I interrupted you. So Levi, yeah. but Levi, um, he, you know, has a farm now. I, believe it's in Michigan. Um, hopefully I'm not wrong about that. Um, and oddly enough, he has a podcast about <laughs> well, that, permaculture mean, right? <laughs> and right. he interviewed two of the farmers that I live with, the, the two people that run the vegetable farm, which is, so it's just small, this world, weird right. circle. And when some, when quite a few people met me originally in the, in, in the parkour sphere, they were like, Oh, whoa, 
wow, it's so similar to the Levi, but well, then that's that. That immediately makes me think. Well, no, wait. Once is an once is a coincidence. Twice is an, a thing, right? So <laughs> there may be a very um, a very deep draw to that that bridge from practice to play to because and once play is useful, but you can't play forever. Like you need to do something. Like you need to get things done. I think you need to get things done. Um, so maybe play is more of a gateway to well, i would almost feel like play is just a, a balance to um play is like the balance to the work you mm. know you kind of just have both in and a that's perfect what led har- harmony we have to go let's go ask levi you do the video i'll do the audio we'll go ask levi <laughs> <laughs> but i mean for me it, yeah i wouldn't parkour for me is a probably an interesting place in my life compared to lots of parkour people quote unquote and it's i would say that it is more or less is just like an overarching kind of mindset i carry with me through life at all times mm-hmm. so i don't i'm not part of a particular community i don't go to any gyms i varying in varying degrees throughout the, the years i have spouts of like more training or like specific and then spouts of like kind of no training and just like occasionally finding some time to just like mm-hmm free play outside and just like wander in the woods and climb on stuff. Um, it varies, but I, I carry with me that just joy and love of movement of, or, and like love of my body and the abilities that it has. And that the fact that I can just go out and do things with it in a very broad sense. I don't know. It's, I'm very, I, as much as I like, am not, I'm not one of like the people in like that parkour athlete kind of sphere where they're just like, wearing the gear and everything. And they're all talking about it almost like as a sport that they practice on a daily basis. To me, it's wider than that. More like a lifestyle it's sort of just like there in my mind at all times, just this kind of love of movement. And so that filters into my farming life and my life of, I mean, I also teach like outdoor play classes and I kind of take kids and also adults like out into the woods and we just mm-hmm. kind of, wander and, and i try to keep it as open and free as possible and explore movement and um but not necessarily just movement like where if we want to like just look at a creek and walk around on it and well that's, that's you know, still that's, movement and that's there too yeah audible and visual input and but um yeah it's just kind of always there for me and i don't think it'll ever it'll never like go anywhere for good it's just it, it comes and goes and spouts in terms of how much i like do parkour quote unquote sort of you know what i mean so of the things that we've like skimmed over so far is there one that you, you wanted to like dive into further maybe teaching okay yeah because we, we've like i think i mentioned that in the summary in the opening but i didn't we haven't really talked about yeah. too much about what drew you to that and like who do you teach and why do you teach i guess this isn't go in a number of ways. I guess my initial foray into parkour teaching started because I was a personal trainer. Um, and I had, and this has also kind of led me to play too, is my disillusionment with just the fitness industry and just mm-hmm. feeling like, you know, feeling like rats on a hamster wheel <laughs> in the gym and just wanting to be like, ah, oh, you, what, you don't need this. Like I need to take you outside and we should just like go climb a tree. Cause you need to feel that just pure joy of just like bliss of being out in the sun and just mm-hmm. like no, you know, I don't know the, the whole work mindset of gym culture. I just think is so terrible for so many people. It's fine for the people that really like it, but a lot, a lot of people probably not the best thing for them. Um, 
you'll probably make a case for it. It's not good for the people who like it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. But so there is that, that kind of, that, uh, disillusionment I was feeling kind of led me to want to teach parkour more and teach movement and take people outside. And that's kind of when I started to actively teach parkour. And it's mostly with just like private clients and one-on-ones. And then early on in those days, and this was during the time I was a personal trainer at Rutgers. And it was also during the time I had lots of pain problems was when I started to, I did these uh, adventure training trips, I called them for lack of a better word at the time, where I would take people on a camping, like a backpacking trip Um, I took, I think I did three or four of them with groups of like four to six people. And we would do parkour and movement while out on this trip. Well, I don't know. I just kind of wanted an immersive experience, so to say. And, you know, I did a few of them. I I haven't continued doing them, but I sometimes think about doing more. We kind of can just do it at the farm potentially, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, And I guess I also just, like, I love teaching and perhaps at the time that I had so much pain, it was also like a really great outlet to teach. Cause at least then I was like, okay, well, if I can't seem to get moving, I can still facilitate without right? um, having issues. At least I can pass it on to other people <laughs> and help them. Um, and so I started teaching. Then I, you know, I did some other things. I like, I met Jesse with the movement creative and occasionally he came to the city at some point and did a little bit of teaching with them here and there. Um, and then that led to me starting our playful nature, which is my current, movement play vehicle teaching business so to say um and it's also kind of gone up and down over time but the main thing i do with that is these just small like one or two kids and sometimes i've done larger group classes and they come to the farm and we kind of romp around for an hour and a half in the woods and the fields and the creek and the lake and we Mm. just we play and kind of explore movement and i also like i'll teach specific skills too it just you know, where it's needed and where it feels right. Um, I'm also the movement and games teacher at the Princeton Waldorf school, um, this year. So that's, that's, that's new, mm. but I, part of what I do is parkour with them. Um, and I also, I probably, my number one thing I like to do teaching wise though, is teaching adults with play mm. because that's where I feel like it's needed the most and where it makes the biggest impact. I don't know. I would, yeah, I would, I would agree. There's, there, it makes a huge impact on people when they rediscover movement, when they rediscover, oh, yes, I remember this used to be joyful. I used to enjoy moving. Yeah. So that's one of my favorite things is turning on older individuals to kind of the more playful, free mindset that you get out of, you know, parkour and playing games and things like that instead of reps and sets and right. exercises. And and, yeah. It can be very rote for people, those kinds of things. And then why would you keep doing it if you're not enjoying it at all? The doctor says, if I don't do it, see these numbers on this report, you're going to... Yeah. That leads us into the whole idea of diet and exercise. And I, I wish I have an issue with the English language that we use the word diet to mean both the thing you do when you want to lose weight and, and the general definition eat. of what you eat. Um, so I, I only ever use it to mean the, what you eat. Yeah. So when I say diet and exercise, I'm talking about like what foods are readily available for people with certain amounts of free time. And all right, we've we've um, societally organized things. So you have to be dual income if you want to have kids and uh, you can actually make the case. That's not the case, but people seem to think that way. So now suddenly food has to be readily made and easy to store and kind of things like that. And I'm wondering, you've you've gone into the farm environment and that is going to automatically change your diet. 
And the more that you can expose people to the farm, I mean, just, just simply expose them to it like, oh, I've seen a farm. They're going to start thinking about food differently because now you've seen like lettuce, you know, in the ground, like, oh, mm-hmm. it doesn't actually come in a plastic bag. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and I think once people see that, then when they, they go to the market, they don't even realize that they're not thinking about their food differently. So I think you have an interesting, um, you're in an interesting situation where what you're doing with play also happens to be in a particularly excellent environment for educating people without actually educating them, but like opening their eyes to the permaculture idea and opening your eyes to, you know, like if they show up in the day, you're harvesting potatoes, let's harvest some potatoes. And now you're moving, playing and, oh, potatoes come from the ground, you know? Um, and I think that's missing in a lot of people's, I know it was missing in my, my worldview, you know, before I started parkour, I, I started trying to change my diet. And it, when you try to change your diet by standing in the food aisle and like deciding what to mm. buy, it's kind of like the wrong way to go at it. You, you really need to rethink what is food? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, well, you're, you're getting at the mission and vision of, of our farm. <laughs> um, I mean, we're, our full title is Cherry Valley Cooperative Center for Permaculture and Holistic Wellness. And that's because we have these extra components about building community and having, we have some yoga teachers and other kind of teachers of, in, the, in that sphere. I do my classes and teaching kind of movement and play in and that umbrella, right? kind of fitness. Um, and so it's that idea of all these things together to kind of nurture the human. And so when people come to the farm, it's like a wonderful, like complete experience where they're getting the richness of togetherness with a community and they're getting really good food and maybe even they're getting a physical experience as well. And that's kind of the, the end goal that we are working towards is this idea of having this place where you can come and have like multiple Mm. experiences, maybe even in a, in a single visit or something. I mean, you know, along those lines, but we're, we're doing it just not necessarily in the single visit sort of manner, but we, we do all these things um, to bring people to the farm and kind of give them those. Hmm. That kind of sounds like that. Cause I know we were talking earlier uh, before we started recording, we were talking about community sponsored agriculture and you run a CSA. So one of the things that people can get from Cherry Valley is, is a, a I don't know, maybe which of us wants to explain CSA in case people don't know what it is. Um, the idea is you, you pay either weekly or quarterly, whatever you pay in and you pay the farmer and then you get a weekly portion yeah, a of weekly whatever, whatever they're growing um, or whatever they've managed to root stock. Like if they have, you know, yep. I'm getting potatoes currently, even though they were harvested, you know, months ago. Yeah, we do and, the same. And I think that the CSA thing, um, that programming system is taking off. Um, sometimes it's called hyper local food. And uh, I think it's a great, like, it's an excellent thing to do. It supports the family. But now I'm watching like the CSA farms near us are like banding together so that they can provide us a more regular mixture of, you know, now I get apples and potatoes, even though the CSA that I was Or using, you could get a complete diet CSA, which right. might involve like dairy and meat. And I'm like, hey, it looks like a supermarket. Like it's like rebuilding the marketing system from scratch. And, and I think that, um, I don't think it'll go quite that far, but- I think it's one thing to pick your CSA and to be thinking about where is my food coming from, but it's a completely different animal to actually go. Like I've actually gone, they've called for volunteers. Hey, we're harvesting potatoes. I've actually gone and spent a day harvesting potatoes. And I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but that actually would be a really useful thing for the CSA. So what your, your project is like, oh yeah, that's, that's what we should be doing. We should have this community that is, um, 
anchored around a farm. Yeah, that's the idea. And that's like, oh, excellent, Chris. It's anchored around where their food comes from. Um, and, and you know, you come together around food. People have come together around food for all of time. It's yeah. kind of, an, you know, it's innate. And so it, it, and same with like around land kind of place. Right. So when you're a farmer, you do become very rooted in place. You know, it's not, it's unlikely you're going to live a nomad lifestyle and farm at the same time. Yeah. Not certainly not in our modern culture where your, your farm yeah. would be taken over if you abandoned it. Yeah. Yeah. What else did we not cover? I think we did everything except, um, filmmaking. Yeah. So a big part of my life is filmmaking. Um, as of recent, it's, it's kind of become the largest part. I, I would say my life has always had these many different moving parts and I've kind of tried to whittle it down and reduce and like find mm. the perfect balance. Anyway, filmmaking here, here. Is, <laughs> has been big right now. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I've been making lots of films about my farm for the past three years. So if you want to go to Cherry Valley films on YouTube, you can see all these, the, the biggest thing to watch is I do these monthly videos throughout the season for the past three seasons. So from March through usually September, October. Um, and it's just kind of like a montage of what happened on the farm that month. That ties back it's, into the community idea of like, all right, you can't physically get here, but you can still see. Yeah. What and it's, on. they're very, they're nice. Um, we all kind of can watch them back and it's like a, a diary of our lives. And it's very cool to look at, but I do, I've done that. And then as of more recent, I just do freelance kind of video work for various businesses and whatnot. And with the focus, I try. How does that tie in? Like, are you, how are you managing to tie it in? I'm going to go somewhere with this, but go ahead. How are you managing to tie it in with your, um, with like your passion for movement and farming or, or do you have to like, nah, I mean, go put on a suit and work for the man doing marketing? No, videos no, or? no, no. I, I'm a, a private, like a solo filmmaker at the moment. Um, and I'm just trying to, you know, local businesses that want an advertisement or something. I'm, I'm open to doing those or I have, I'm doing a press kit for a friend that's a musician. I'm going to film a wedding soon and I hopefully would like to do more of those. I mean, a lot of these things are, I find it very fun to just craft a story through film kind of regardless of the story. But of course I would love to do the passion project, passion so projects. to say. And I do, um, I, uh, I guess overall though, just because of who I am, I'm, I'm drawn to, and then they're drawn to me. Mm -hmm into kind of environmental groups and organizations. So I'm doing a video for um, the Watershed Institute, which is like a really prominent nonprofit in Central Jersey that kind of advocates for and does science and education around nature and water. Um, and they're huge advocates in the state for all sorts of legislation in and around environmental protection. And um, so that's amazing because what they do is incredible to me. And it's so similar to what we do at the farm and our goals. So I get to work on crafting a story about that. Yeah. Something that's meaningful to so you. That's, yeah. And believe me, I got millions of ideas for passion projects <laughs> that would be fun to do. And ultimately the struggle of any artist is often the funding aspect and figuring out yeah. how to, how to spend months mm -hmm. doing something and yet still not yeah. go totally. Well, I think, I think having a farm to eat off of is a good start. <laughs> but yeah. what I was going to, what I was going to say was the a lot of people have always talked about, oh, my, my passion is in parkour or arthroplasma, or, or whatever you want to call your yeah. movement, um, move net, whatever. And then the problem becomes, how do I make a living out of this thing? Mm. And I think, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but I think your um, attack on that has been to like, no, I have a crafted, I've crafted my life and it's based around movement and parkour plays an important part of it. Even if I'm not doing it every day, it's a very important there was a phase where that was what you ate and slept it. And then that, that, I'm not saying you have to move beyond parkour, but 
You then branched out into farming and building a community. And now uh, your current technology interest is in video. And I think I could say you're making a living doing parkour because for (laughs) you, parkour is a piece of your personal story, a piece of your personal montage. And I've seen other people, I'm not going to name any names, but I've seen other people who, when they just let parkour like seep into them, then it comes out in whatever project they're working in. Like, you know, and it sounds crazy, but oh, I know what I, you mean. I'm into parkour and I'm, I'm a web designer. And like those two are not opposing statements, you know, not, not me personally, but like someone could say that. And, and you'll find that you're drawn to people who are into movement. And when you go and talk to that client, you're going to be passionate about play and they can be like, yeah, 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 build me that website. And then, so I, I think you've, you've struck upon a chord that you can construct your own personal life and bring in all those threads. And it doesn't have to be, I do parkour, I teach parkour, that's how I make my living. But you can still say, I am, or is really important to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the thing that a lot of probably practitioners ultimately do learn or will have to learn. Um, you know, because it it doesn't need to be your job for you to enjoy it as a big right. part of your life, you know, or it doesn't. And then even, what does that even mean for it to be your job? Like for you to train for you to teach, for you to make videos about it. Like right. there's so many. And yeah, I, I feel like that it's something that I just carry with me. It's mm-hmm. just kind of there in, in the background sort of, or, or piece of your DNA now. It's just like there in my life. I'm, I'm a parkour person, even though I'm not like a regularly all the time training athlete that yeah, goes full, to fully every, logoed, right? yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Fully logoed <laughs> with the, the oversized white tee from uh, overseas. And right. we, <laughs> Cool. And of course, the final question, three words to describe your practice. Mm, stay outside. So it's not go outside, it's stay outside. You should have never went in in the first place. Thank you very much, Chris. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. This was episode 28. For more information, go to moversmindset.com slash 28. While you're there, please consider supporting the project. Thanks for listening.